Welcome to the You Can Eat With Us podcast with Libre Connections. Join your host, Tara Harbstreet, as she sits down to chat with people who have experienced the ups and downs of intuitive eating and body acceptance on their path to health and happiness. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the You Can Eat With Us podcast. I'm your host, Kara Harpstreet, and if you're catching this, you are actually catching the first part of a three-part mini-series that we're doing with our guest, who I'll introduce you to in just a moment. But this is a really exciting thing because with the topic of body-positive fitness, there's a lot to cover. And as we learned from season one, our longer episodes still didn't give us quite enough time to cover all the things that we wanted to. And so we're breaking up this topic into three smaller episodes that are going to be rolling out over the course of episode 21, 22, and 23. So if you're listening to this, be sure to catch the rest of those, especially if you're listening live. We're going to be rolling these out over the course of three days. So a really exciting time for the podcast, and we're going to have a lot of other resources coming your way. As I said, our series is all about body positive fitness. And as soon as I decided I wanted to cover this topic on the podcast, I had someone immediately come to mind. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Jenna, who I first connected with over Instagram, but she's based in the Chicago area and her work is all about helping you reframe your relationship with exercise, find the fun in movement and feel better in your body. She's a semi-retired professional dancer and she first discovered yoga as a cross training tool but she's been teaching and coaching for over a decade at this point. Jenna is certified as an ERYT 200 in yoga for all teacher. So if you're not familiar with yoga teacher trainings, that means that she's completed the 200 hour training, but then in addition to that has gone on to do more training to create a more body positive approach for yoga and make it inclusive for bodies of all shapes, sizes, genders, and abilities. Not only that, but she is an NASM certified personal trainer and a strong first FSG1 kettlebell instructor. So she has a really diverse background when it comes to movement and exercise. And as you'll hear in our interview, she gets really excited about a lot of different ways of moving with, you know, joy and variety and flexibility. So she's a body positive fitness Alliance affiliated professional, which you'll also hear a little bit more about and believes that fitness looks different on everyone. So as we get into the first part of this mini series, you'll hear more about Jenna's background and the work that she's doing, but we'll also introduce the topic of joyful movement and sort of define what that is. I think we've maybe mentioned it on the podcast in the past, but we've never taken a deep dive like we're going to do with this series. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get right into it. Here is the first part of our interview with Jenna. All right. Welcome to the show, Jenna. I'm so glad to be talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Kara. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into this topic. I know on season one, we really didn't cover a lot with movement, and so many of our listeners reached out and said that they were really interested in it. And so I thought you would be the perfect person to start introducing this topic for us. So as always, you know, we heard a little bit of your background in the introduction for this mini series, but I'll turn it over to you and just open it up for you to share your story with movement and how you kind of got to where you are today. Sure. So how much time do we have? Because there's so much that goes into this. Oh, I know. There's Um, never enough time. (laughs) Right. I feel like 
my relationship uh, with movement was very tied to my relationship with my body and also with food. And it started pretty young for me, honestly. I think around sixth grade was the time that I went on my first diet, that I started realizing that body size was a thing that I needed to concern myself with. And to add to that, I also grew up as a dancer. And so even though I felt like growing up, my dance teachers never, you know, changed me for my body or anything, I was well aware that there was a certain look that I was expected to have if I wanted to be a dancer. And so kind of fast forward into, you know, through high school, through college, I feel like my disordered relationship with food and exercise kind of manifested in a lot of different ways. But in college as a dance major, I started getting really into working out aside from just being, you know, in the dance studio in class at rehearsal. And it became this sort of compulsive thing that I felt like I had to do all the time to control my body size. And I did it for a really long time after college, I moved to Chicago, became a professional dancer and a dance teacher. So I feel like the pressure there got a little bit worse. But the interesting thing is that through all of this, I feel like a lot of my disordered behaviors just kind of flew under the radar. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think because I always just looked quote unquote healthy. I think what um, you know, unfortunately, society deems that a healthy person ought to look like. I never got to the point where I looked, you know, alarmingly skinny or anything like that. Um, and then number two, diet culture is just such a normal part of our regular culture that if you're, you know, counting calories or restricting food or watching what you eat um, or quote unquote eating clean or exercising all the time that most people are concerned. I found that I just got congratulated and people thought that I was the healthy one and the fit one. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, and things really came to a screeching halt. Um, when I found the clean eating movement and I did a popular elimination diet, it was a 30 day deal. Um, and I actually did it twice, um, and had to eliminate a bunch of food groups. And at the end of it, I was supposed to have all of these you know, miraculous cures to all my health problems that I didn't actually have in the first place. Um, but I found the opposite was true for me. I actually had this weird itchy rash that I couldn't explain, and I was tired all the time, grumpy, moody, you know, crying, yelling at people. I felt like I had lost my sparkle. And to top it all off, I had actually gained weight. And I knew something was wrong, so I went to the doctor, had some blood work done, found out that I was hypothyroid, that I had a bunch of other hormone imbalances with my estrogen and progesterone, and my cortisol was high, so just a classic story that I feel like a lot of women have. And I realized at that moment that I, and really we, don't have as much control over our bodies as we think we do. And I kind of had this moment where I'm like, I guess I have to figure out how to accept myself as is because I can't control this. You know, when you're hypothyroid, there's really not much you can do to um, control your weight. So I feel like I was forced into um, kind of accepting my body. And thankfully, um, and I'm so grateful for the people that take the time, the time to do this, I heard Summer Inanen on a paleo podcast of all places. And she introduced me to this whole world of body acceptance, health at every size, intuitive eating, all the social justice issues that go along with it, intersectional feminism. 
And I just kind of dove in because I didn't know what else to do. And while I was, you know, in the process of figuring out how to accept myself, the thing that I realized is there weren't a lot of people talking about the fitness aspect of it. There were, you know, a lot of non-diet dietitians talking about how to heal your relationship with food. There were a lot of body image coaches, but most of the messaging around fitness was just, oh, well, you know, that's a toxic environment. The fitness world just don't work out anymore. Um, but at the time I was still, you know, working in the fitness industry, I was teaching yoga classes, I was teaching dance, I was personal training and I was just starting to see everything for what it really was and realizing all the messages that were harmful. And in spite of that, still seeing so much good in it, still seeing so many benefits as a dancer, uh, you know, it's my passion. I'll never stop doing that. Yoga, in addition to the physical benefits, just so many wonderful, you know, mental, spiritual aspects of it that have been great. Um, honestly, I am, I just love the move. I'm a weirdo. I like burpees. I think it's fun. So I, uh, I set out to try and do this differently. And in the process, I was introduced to Body Positive Fitness Alliance, which we'll talk a little bit about later. And also people with just really different and interesting backgrounds. Um, and it's just taken off from there. So yeah, long story short, that's how I got here. Yeah, it's so interesting given, you know, your background as a dancer from a young age. I think this is something that we've covered on the podcast really briefly, but, you know, you can really... Ad- develop an identity around the type of movement that you engage in or the types of activities that are a big part of your life. So when you began to recognize the problematic aspects of those settings, you know, whether that's a gym or a dance studio or just the community of people within these places, what were some of the things that really seemed to jump out at you or what things did you start to notice as you did the discovery of a non-diet approach and got introduced to the health at every size and body positive fitness? So many things. Uh, one of the big ones for me was uh, the focus on using exercise as punishment or as compensation. So the amount of you know group fitness instructors, for example, who make comments in their classes about, you know, burning your dinner for Thanksgiving or, you know, working off, you know, the calories from XYZ meal or earning a glass of wine or something like that. And it never really struck me before as something that was harmful, but then I just started hearing that sort of thing everywhere or hearing people, you know, automatically assuming that weight loss was the best thing. Uh, that a person could possibly do, complimenting it a lot, commenting on people's bodies a lot, complaining about their own bodies a lot, talking about food restriction a lot, um, and even just noticing the people around me seeing these unhealthy patterns with exercise uh, that I had actually been engaging with, you know, back when, and didn't really see as a problem at the time, but then being able to recognize it in others, you know, seeing it in my students, my clients, and being like, this isn't a cool way to be. Mm, I can so relate to that because I I see it too. I mean, it's one of those things where you you see someone who's maybe a little bit into their fitness journey. They've been coming for a while, but then you recognize that it's starting to actually really interfere with their life. I mean, they're there for multiple classes or back-to-back classes. 
Um, you notice a lot of anxiety if they, you know, let's say are traveling and they can't get to the gym or they can't maintain the level of activity that they've gotten accustomed to. Um, and yeah, it's super problematic with the commentary and the other types of messages in those settings. And I wonder if that's, kind of pervasive across the board or, you know, in your experience, if you notice it more in one setting versus another. But I found at least that in some of the studio or more like boutique fitness settings that there is a ton of commentary about women and their bodies. And it sometimes even goes so far as instructors like, you know, placing their hands on clients or people who are in the class and making comments about the shape or size of their body. And it's just not only uncomfortable to watch, but so, so unnecessary. And then, of course, when it happens to you, it feels super invasive. So I think that's another big one that is just a perpetuation of diet culture in these settings. And and maybe you can elaborate on that, too, a little bit more about what you've observed or witnessed. Absolutely. So it's interesting because I feel like there's no one place that it exists more than another. It honestly just depends. You know, I've seen a lot of it in the yoga environment, for example. You know, certain studios that I teach at are in certain areas or demographics. One in particular I can think of that's just in a really wealthy area where appearances seem to be really important for a lot of people. And I would notice, you know, not so much with the instructors, but really just see it in the students, you know, people who would be showing up for multiple classes or taking the same really strenuous classes day after day and only taking, you know, the hardest classes um, or wanting to take from the hardest teachers and that sort of thing. I notice it there in that sort of environment. In the gym, honestly, I feel like I'm either blessed to work with some really amazing people or I just hear a lot more from the clients, you know, people being very concerned about, you know, the number on the scale or worrying that if they lift weights, they're going to get too, um, you know, bulky and all the fat in air quotes. So those are just a few examples, but I don't feel like anyone's really exempt, you know, it's here and there and everywhere and it's not one person or one style of movement or one thing it's this whole elaborate system that is diet culture that just kind of infiltrates everything yeah I would agree with that and I think too a lot of times with body positive fitness it's very heavily leaning towards um female or people who identify as female whereas you know, on the male side of the spectrum, we can't forget too that there's also really ridiculous body ideals for those who identify as male. And it really isn't exclusive to one gender or one section of the gender spectrum either. Absolutely. You, you see it everywhere. You really do. Nobody's exempt. Right. So when you started to notice more of that problematic type of messaging, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit off air before we started the recording was how we can start calling it out. Or if you're in that place where you're ready to let go of dieting and rejecting diet culture, what might be some of the things that you could start to do to kind of build that resiliency when you're immersed in these settings? I mean, you've mentioned so many of the benefits from exercise and movement, and I wholeheartedly agree that for anyone who wants to engage in that or have access to it, they, they absolutely should. But in those settings, you know, we almost have to like put on the suit of armor before we walk in. So what are some of the helpful things that you might recommend or some of the things that you've used yourself to build that resiliency? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is that calling it out can be scary and it's, 
you know, you have to know where you are mentally and emotionally. And if you kind of have the capacity to do the emotional labor and to take it on, sometimes the call outs happens in your own mind. You know, you hear one of those comments, um, and instead of taking it on and deciding that you need to let it ruin your day or, you know, affect your workout in any way, just be like, Hey, that's stupid. I don't have to you know, buy into that messaging, that's ridiculous, whatever. Um, for me, one of the ways that I started calling it out, honestly, was on social media and blogging about it. Blogging was huge for me when I first started. And just by writing about it, I found that I had a lot of people, um, other instructors, people that I know that work in my, you know, yoga and fitness communities were like, hey, that's a good thing. I hadn't considered that. So that's a really cool thing that I've noticed. Um, sometimes it means unfollowing, whether that's unfollowing people on social media, um, or, you know, maybe finding a new instructor. There are a lot of people out there that even though they might not call themselves body positive per se, they are really amazing instructors um, and really amazing coaches who know all of the other benefits that you can get from this and aren't going to shove it in your face. So just kind of being experimental, seeking it out, finding the right people. Um, and then if you feel comfortable talking to an instructor or sometimes even talking to a manager so that you're a little bit more removed from that, some might be more receptive than others. Again, I think it's one of those things where you just have to decide if you're ready to take that on. Um, but, you know, I would say if you want to sum it up into two main points, um, share things when you can. Um, when you hear little nuggets of knowledge that you find might be helpful um, and curate your life, you know, you don't have to follow the people that are making you feel bad. You don't have to go to the gyms or the classes that are making you feel bad. Um, you know, and just when you go to a new place and you're going to take somebody's class or find a new trainer, read people's bios, seek us out. Like we're out here. I'm here. I would be so excited to hear from anybody who wanted to work with a fitness professional like me who has this mindset. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where we on the other end of things can also make assumptions. Like, you know, every instructor or every trainer comes from this very weight normative background. They're really focused on weight loss or, you know, changing the size or shape of your body. And like you said, it's great to point out that there are always exceptions. We've noticed this community of non-diet dietitians, but it also exists, as you've indicated, within the the movement settings as well. And, and that's a really important thing to remember. So one of the other questions, um, and you somewhat alluded to this earlier when you were talking about some of the activities that you really enjoy that just fire you up and keep you really energized and excited to stay active. Um, and this is kind of encompassed within intuitive eating as joyful movement. And we've used that term a little bit on the podcast before, but I don't know if we've ever actually defined it or, you know, shown any examples of what that could look like. So I'm kind of curious in your words or in the type of work that you do, how might you kind of encapsulate joyful movement or how might you try to describe it to someone who isn't familiar with that? So joyful movement, I think, is going to be different for everyone. And when I first heard the term, it's funny, I kind of pictured like Julie Andrews frolicking in a meadow somewhere, um, which isn't necessarily something that I identified with, though I do, you know, love me a good sound of music. Um, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. And sometimes when I hear others talk about joyful movement, they might describe things like yoga or walking, um, 
but it really just depends on the person. You have to figure it's something that lifts your spirits for one, something that makes your body feel good, um, either during or after. Um, it's a means of enhancing your life rather than something that you use to break yourself down. Joyful movement shouldn't be torture, you know, um, there are lots of ways to pursue movement. It doesn't have to suck. Um, you know, you, again, you hear all these talks about walks and gentle yoga, but it doesn't have to be that unless you want it to be that. Some people like that, and that's great. Um, but there are a lot of other things, too. I mentioned that I'm a big weirdo. Like, I think burpees are fun. You know, that's just me. I love dancing. I don't love running, you know, somebody else might look at me and say that the complete opposite is true for them. So some ways to find that I think are um, trying a lot of things. First of all, um, having that adventurous nature and seeing what might work, um, tapping into things that you liked as a child can be really helpful just to come back to that place. Usually things that immediately brought you joy when you were younger might also do the same you know, as an adult. And then one of the most important things I think is finding a community and a place that feels welcoming. And um, that is a lot easier said than done. And I know it's um, a lot easier said than done, even more so, um, you know, if you're living in a larger body or if you're in a marginalized community and you don't see yourself welcomed in, um, you know, traditional fitness places, you don't see yourself represented in marketing. It's challenging. Um, but you can find it again. Like we're here. Yeah, I agree. And I love how you gave a lot of different examples because it's so true that what one person enjoys could look really different than the next person. And even in the setting or context of that one individual person, it could also look really different, right? I mean, if you're traveling or you're on vacation or you have access to different types of activity that you don't normally have, then yeah, the joyful movement for that day could look completely different than when you're in your day-to-day -day routine at home. And I think that's one thing that, you know, we kind of get into when you mentioned like that playfulness aspect of going back to what you really enjoyed when you were a kid. You know, if that's something that you have the opportunity to try, then having that flexible mindset to say, you know, we're going to bypass what we might normally do if we were at home and instead engage with this different type of movement that does feel really liberated and free and fun and, you know, almost take advantage of the opportunity while we have it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I was kind of laughing too when you described Julie Andrews because it's <laughs> one of those things where, yeah, we kind of come up with this really like over the top idea of what joyful movement could look like when really it might be as simplistic as saying, you know, I need some fresh air. I'd love to get out in the sunshine. I'm going to walk to the end of the block and back so that I can feel more focused or um, energized or whatever the case may be. And it doesn't have to be this really elaborate thing. It might just be this really small aspect that you can incorporate into your day when you have the chance or the energy to. Absolutely. And it can be, it can change day to day. It can be something that's playful. Um, it can be something that's, you know, sort of evolving again. Like it's, it's going to look different for every single person on every single day. So yeah. And another thing to keep in mind too, with joyful movement, and this is a point that I forgot to mention before, a good gauge to decide whether or not the movement is joyful. If you knew that it would not result in any sort of aesthetic changes in your body, would you still do it anyway? Yes, that's um, one of my favorite if, questions to ask. I love that question. 
Yeah, that's a good indication. If you would still do it regardless, then there's a good chance that it probably falls under that joyful movement category for you. Oh, perfect. Well, that's a great note to end on for the first section of this mini series, because in part two, we're actually going to start talking about how we start getting there, like how we start to repair our relationship with exercise if we're coming from that place of punishment. So we're going to close things down for this first part. And then of course, come back tomorrow because we're going to get right into things with part two. So stay tuned. All right, so that wraps up part one of our mini series on body positive fitness with our guest, Jenna Josefowski. She did such a great job introducing us to the concept of joyful movement, and we're gonna keep the conversation going with part two. So stay tuned if you are catching this live, it's gonna be aired tomorrow, or if you're catching this after the fact, just look for episode 22. This is where we start to understand how we can repair our relationship with exercise and movement, especially if we've come from a place where we've mostly relied on it for either weight loss or as a way of punishing our body. She has some really great advice on how to get more playful with movement and start discovering whatever it is that you really enjoy or the motivation or the intent behind the ways that you move. You definitely don't want to miss it. So we will see you here again soon. Thanks so much for listening.